Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiast Podcast. Two Enthusiast Podcast. The most damn handsome podcast there is. <laughs> oh yeah, damn handsome. Damn handsome. Yeah, no. I'm not going to agree with that one. You're a handsome fellow, though. No, I think we're both, we both look like a couple of trolls. I definitely look like a troll. <laughs> I've been so sick for the last week. Oh, man. If my mom said my voice sounded sexy on the phone, though, like the, the phlegm is doing that like sexy voice mm. thing. Yeah. But my mom also says I'm handsome. So, yep. You know, I, that's all you have to say. I don't know if she's a reliable source, but she's a sweet lady. She's a she sweet, is a sweet lady. She gave me some sweet socks for after Christmas. Yeah. I admired her plaid. She it was like plaid. a full-on tartan. Like, it's not. It's not Portland plaid. No, no, it's like Prince Charles of the Spartan clan. Yeah, plaid. It's a full-on tartan style yeah. thing. Yeah, and they were nice socks, and I. She was here, take them, which was a bit weird, right? I mean, generally, when you give someone socks, you don't take not, them off, not your, off feet. your feet. No, but. You know, I didn't get the impression that she sweats a lot. We like are you. a was odd that, family. Was that a trait passed down? Did, did you That's think? on the father's side. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, yeah. you know, I was, I, I had to, even if so, you wash them and you just take your risks. Uh, you know? Number one fan. She likes every single post we do on Facebook. Yeah, for sure. Which is what people should be doing. If you're not following the show on Facebook, make sure you get on the book face and do that. We're also on Instagram. Quentin's been putting all sorts of posts on Instagram. Not at all. I'm shaking my head no because you haven't done anything. No, I guess I have to figure out how to do that. They're probably on your to-do list like right behind the show notes. Oh, yeah, right? Yeah. They're obscured by the show notes. <laughs> you just, you just, you got so busy with the show notes you couldn't get to the yeah, Instagram exactly. thing. But Facebook, you're all over it. Yeah, sure. It's easy. So that's good. Path of least resistance, man. Uh, what else? What else? What else? What else? Thank you for everyone who's been uh, rating the show and liking it on iTunes. We'll think, say thank you again to Michael Locke for being on our last show, our special guest, our first guest on, on the Two Enthusiast podcast. A lot of positive comments about that. If you haven't listened to that show, I think you definitely need to do so. I think it's one of the best ones we've ever done. Michael has a ton of experience and a ton of knowledge, and he basically just dropped it like it's hot right in our laps mm -hmm. some, with some good anecdotes and stories. Like a hot sack of buttered popcorn. Like, I'm glad like, you finished that sentence with butter popcorn. <laughs> I was just like, well, where are you going with this? <laughs> You're too handsome. And right in my mouth. Delicious wow. butter popcorn. Wow. Um, hopefully Michael doesn't listen to the show. Well, he, he deals with East Coasters. That's an East Coaster. It was a friend from New Hampshire. He was like, ah. <laughs> New Hampshire. He was like, that's oh, like a hot sack of buttered popcorn, right? That's got it going on. Like a hot sack of buttered popcorn. In however way Soaked they say Soaked up it. Philly like a sponge. <laughs> Down by the harbor. I was at MMI and it was this guy who was from, I'm pretty sure it was New Hampshire and uh, New Hampshire, however I'm supposed to say it. Oh man, they say weird things over there. Oh, that. Wilkesbury. Yeah. Worcester, not spelled Worcester. Let me tell you, <laughs> it's not spelled Worcester at all. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> Worcester talking about Philly. No, it, it's Worc it looks like Worcestershire sauce, but it, they say it Worcester, right? It's spelled like Worcestershire sauce, but that's it. It's hey. funny. I got an idea. Why don't we talk about some motorcycles? Yeah, from Worcester? <laughs> from Worcester. Right? That would be wicked smart. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're from the Boston area, you can leave your negative feedback at Two oh, Enthusiasts at AskWaltonRever.com. There's no negative, man. It's nothing we, but love. We nothing do not do act. No, not at all. Not but, at all. Right? Like, we are middle of America, yeah. standard American English accent there's no pack in a car and not even the law at all right every now and then i'll drop a hella that's how i know i'm from NorCal. yeah that's bay area for sure though right yeah, yeah that's hella bay area or or i always get confused is it the 405 or 405 which one's the socal the. way that's yeah. the v that's the it's california like the way. ohio state university right that's uh, a thing really yeah oh yeah no oh yeah horrible that's a big 10 for no both. just the the five not i5 not interstate five i5 it's the, the five. five the five there's the no four or five the 205 the whatever right and when you say that here in oregon people know immediately where you're from and then just yeah yeah uh we did just have the the one show up here so we did have a lot of out-of-towners in our in our lovely portland neighborhood that actually out portlanded the portlanders if, it I would I would love to be able to have like a set of goggles you could put on, kind of like in that movie. What was the movie with uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper? The uh, uh, They Live. 
right? Where he sees the the skull faces and the you don't know what I'm talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Holy I think shit. it's going to give me you've nightmares. Got, you've got angry listeners. Right now, you're going to have angry listeners. It's like, I think it's a John Carpenter film. It's a really... Who? It's bitching. So it's, you put on the glasses, and you see all the subliminal messages, and then you see all the people are like, not, not like lizard people, but like this weird... Like obvious. See, I get the lizard people reference. Yeah, it's a similar thing. Yeah. So anyway, it'd be like if you go to Portland and you go to and just walk around Portland and you could put the goggles on to see who's a local and who's not. There's only like ten or fifteen locals here in Portland now. But which, which, which is funny because like if you talk to people, they're like, "Oh, I'm a native. I'm from here. I was born. I was born. Well, I was born here, but I grew up back east. <laughs> There's and a I lot moved of that. back. No, and I think that happens in every place, right? There's, but right now Portland is hot and it has been for ten years. So. Right, that's the way it's going to be. But if you went Portland's to the one so show, right now. the one show was filled with plaid shirts, beards, beanies. Uh, not necessarily. I wouldn't even call it hipster any longer. It's just kind of northwest chic. It's like the new grunge, kind of. It's yeah. like a, it's yeah, like it's a PBR sponsored grunge. Yeah, kind of. And like, you just wonder, like, because uh, a lot of them are out of towners, and they they look like locals, oh, yeah. but you can almost pick them out because there's an extra bit of dirty grunginess to to the locals that uh, you can only have right. with your the, outfit, dirt under the fingernails, at your hands at, in town, not the stuff that you packed into your suitcase. Well, when I can tell that you've dry cleaned and had your flannel shirt pressed, <laughs> that's a dead giveaway. When mm -hmm. it's got like those nice sharp creases down sure. the arms, yeah. you're just like, what are you? What are you no, doing? No, what they did is what they are, had they you went, broke it. They went. To Sears and went to the Husky area and they bought the Husky. fucking right just right in time to go. It's like I got dressed right. I can't. I can't be wearing my SoCal gear. Or like when the stains are too strategically placed <laughs> that like they they balance each other out. Right. You're like you you're curating your uh, <laughs> that your mustard shirt. stain that wouldn't have been there. And that you mustard know stain got curated the shit out of. <laughs> uh, Oh, good times. Good times in All Portland. Right. Good times with the one show. Interesting show. Uh, bigger, better, hipper. Um, it continues to grow. So good on tour and the CC crew for for building that out, putting Portland on the map. Uh, we we enjoyed hosting all of you out-of-towners here. We we're glad you left uh, afterward. <laughs> but um, The bikes were okay. Um, there was always... There's always a few gems in there. There's always a few gems. I was, I had a hard time like really getting into a lot of the bikes. I don't know if that's just because I'm getting old, but what I thought was very interesting was how few cafe racers were there. Yeah. A lot of scrambly scramblers. There was a whole little dirt bike section, not a lot of sport bikes. The cruiser section actually, I thought had the most interesting bikes in it, which is like a weird thing for me to say. Like I feel almost unclean saying those well, which, words like which ones were interesting to you that were cruisers that, that knucklehead that custom knucklehead that was all mechanical that was in the corner was really low hmm. do i need a th i can show you a photo i think i want. do know what you mean sure that was done by um i'm glad that you like a knucklehead i'm glad you could identify a knucklehead if it really was a knucklehead you sure it wasn't are a you, shovel are you are you questioning my my yeah, harley totally. motor knowledge yeah for sure <laughs> wow Look at you. I, mean, I wouldn't know. Look at you. I'd have trouble. I'd probably have trouble uh, identifying some of those old Harley engines, right? I mean, I got Google. I know what's yeah, up. Yeah, that looks like a mud pump. Yep, that must be a knucklehead. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's right. Oh, well, that's yeah. a good looking bike, though, right? Yeah, it was cool. For it's sure. by um, Sosa Metalworks out of California. Sosa? Sosa, S O S A. Cool. Uh, did an amazing job. Easily, easily the best bike in the show for, for me. Um, but I thought Roland Sands had some cool bikes. Yeah. Suicide Machines had some. Roland's, uh, and I hate BMWs, you know this, but that BMW he made was a flat twin and it was pretty cool looking. I liked it. I, you know, it's like, yeah, I'd ride that. That's neat. That's yeah. an interesting one. The really cool one though for me was the TZ framed RD engine, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. which was just superb. But of course it is because it's a two stroke race bike. So, I mean, it would take, you, you would have to like hang it from the ugly tree and let it hit every branch on the way down for that to fuck it up. You'd have to do some really bad things to it. I thought he did a great job on that. No, one. yeah, that one's, that one's been around the block for a while, but Has super it? cool, super cool looking bike. He calls it the two stroke attack TZRD. Uh, and that was, that was the shame for me. Cause it was, it was kind of in this dark little hallway. And, oh, of course. And it was hard sure. to see. And, you could, I could have spent way more time looking at that than some of the other bikes that were put Woolies, on. Um, uh, I think it was a sportster based, uh, cafe racer uh it was in the center of that room with the white yeah um yeah i, I don't know what he called about. it i apologize it's a he's a deus builder from uh, um venice 
uh, that's a guy named Michael Woolaway. I think we've talked about him on the show. He's a rad yeah. dude. So he did a good job on that one. I liked it. Again, a bike I would own for sure. And I'm not a Harley. Again, it looks like, this, oh, they put beautiful bodywork on a mud pump. Yeah, but it probably sounds right and looks cool. I like that one. There was a bevel drive that was pretty well done. Not perfect, not what I would build. But again, I'd own it. I'd ride it. It was beautiful. It had a blue frame and silver bodywork. Well, silver tank. Uh, with blue stripes and that was that was pretty good looking that was clean it was real clean yeah very very and i like that uh one that i liked more than most was a yamaha xs which is a triple and i thought it was an 1100 but ended up being a 750 um my friend jet pointed that out and i was like huh i didn't even know they made a 750 triple i thought they were all 1100s it's a shaft drive air-cooled late 70s early 80s engine that not many people know about but it's a triple, and that's really unique. And Yamaha had made and had a, a bit of a, uh, a history with triples at that time. Um, and, was it uh, a cross-plane triple? Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure it was a fucking, you know, rattle your teeth out. But I don't know. That's a good question. It, it's probably one down, two two up, one down style crank. Well, I, I was making a joke. You're, you're serious. No, it's not a cross-plane. It's not, it's not a 160 No, it, was, it, it was. would probably one. be... Two of the pistons are going up at the same time and one's coming down. Maybe. I don't know. That's a good question. It'd be worth investigating. Either way, Mean Motorsports, or at least that was what was on the bike, was Mean, which is the um, the race team that Josh Heron is riding superbikes with. Right, right. Um, uh, the gentleman's name is Amin, I believe, and he, he, I guess, commissioned this or they did it themselves. It was really rad. It was the it was the flat gray one that was in that again in that realm. That that room was was a pretty good room. I I thought that was great. I didn't see what they called it. I apologize for not knowing it, but it was it was really well done. I was stoked to see it. That was cool. Good bikes. Good good to see stuff out there. Yep. Um, a lot of old dirt bikes. A lot of old dirt bikes. If you were a fan of old dirt bikes, that was the show for you to be at. Yeah. Um, That's tour, and he's been bending towards that for a long time. Trying. It's tough to. Stuff to get the crowd to be too stoked about it, but he is getting people to ride dirt bikes. He is bending the the culture to get into off road, and I we've been watching it over the years. He just built the CC Motorcycles KTM dealership in Portland, and I, we're seeing a general kind of trend of the hipsters. I'll say it going from cafe racers to realizing that they they need to learn how to ride motorcycles before they go kill themselves on these horrid pieces of shit with drum brakes and bad bad tires and bad chassis and everything like okay even an old dirt bike you can learn quite a bit on and it's not as dangerous and i think that's what's happening that's my personal opinion so it's good to see a lot of people getting out there and it's frankly it's teaching a lot of people how to work on bikes same as those cafe racers did to a point but they're almost too complicated you know i can't tell you how many times we'd have to deal with somebody that didn't understand how to synchronize a set of throttle body or sorry carburetors to get them to run right or do any of the things that take a little bit of extra um, mechanical knowledge to get the the bikes to run well. Whereas a single cylinder dirt bike, you got a few, few screws you can, you can play with and get the carb a little bit tuned in. And maybe you have to learn how to change some jets and then you go out to the, you, you know, you're riding the dirt. And so it, it doesn't pull cleanly through the RPM. You can still have fun. And then you play with it a little bit more and you get it to run a little better and you learn how to work on a motorcycle. And I think that's a really cool thing. So hopefully that's a trend we get to see, um, happening for a while is that people will dig these older dirt bikes out. Arma, will allow that's the historic racing organization will will start allowing some of the bikes from the 80s into the classes i know right now the biggest thing is to to race twin shock 70s the early 70s era bikes which are all getting super old and pretty gnarly and you do that on a vet track or on a on a natural terrain dirt style uh, track from that era they're okay but i bet you could get a, a lot of people riding shoot mid 80s CRs, RMs, etc., and you could have some fun, and you could do legit jumps, and just as much as anybody from that era was. So, you know, Bob Hanna's Johnny O'Mara era, and there's there's probably a lot of people that had posters of those guys on their walls. Even if they didn't stay into motorcycles, they might have liked that as kids. They probably had it right next to their poster for Rad, the the uh, the the bicycle movie. Did Did you ever see Rad? R A D. I think it's R A D D. Maybe I don't know. Oh, dude. Send me an angel. You're gonna, you're gonna have to. 
No we're gonna have to about. watch rad holy shit and i wasn't even into bmx bikes but that was a thing i think so we're seeing that now the people from maybe a little bit more my generation maybe a little bit older than yeah, you i think i think you just found the sweet spot where you're like slightly older than i am yeah absolutely and that's so that, that's what i'm seeing a lot of these people and a lot of that were at the one show are in that in that area we're not quite millennials yeah but kind of the forgotten in between between gen xers and millennials doing the thing right so that's uh that's a lot of people that, frankly, have been in on the back foot for the past 10 years of an economy, and maybe they're having to gravitate towards old, crappy stuff because they can't afford the new stuff, and that's the thing. That's the thing, and we talked about that in yep. the last podcast with yeah. Michael. Absolutely. Uh, Quentin, we got a, a few topics I want to talk about today now that we've gotten past the, the one show, the first of which is a little rumor item that mm. has been circulating. The, the rumor's internet. an innuendo. Yeah. Um, okay. MCN, uh, the British magazine, is reporting that Honda will have a V4 superbike coming out for the 2019 model or mm. 2019 model year based off the RC213VS, which, of course, is based off the MotoGP bike. It'll just be a more production version, homologation special, probably like $40,000 whammy-bammy. They need something if uh, if they're going to make up for the complete lack of speed and handling that Nikki Hayden was just experiencing at Phillip Island. Well, that's the funny part, right? Race one. We, we literally just watched the, the first race at, at Phillip Island and what Nikki finished 11th, Brattle finished 15th, something like that. Yeah. It is it is almost embarrassing for, for Honda. And I have to understand uh, I that. I would say, no, that's embarrassing. It's not it's almost. It's not. It's, no. it's, you can't come. I mean, they're doing way worse than last year. Not just right. And that bike should be better. I don't care how much development they, they should be better than it is for sure. It's interesting when you talk to the team. Um, I mean, one thing I think people need to understand, it's not really a factory team. Uh, Tenkade, the, the, the team itself is based out of Holland. They get a little support from Honda, but it's not an HRC effort. They're doing the development work on the bike. It's really Honda Motor Europe to that's me, involved. That's plausible deniability for Honda to lick balls and then then be able to say, "Oh yeah, well that's uh, that's not us." It, right? well, it's kind of how they did with the TT with yeah, Team Mugen. It's Mugen, right? That's what uh, I see. If it sucks, it's Mugen. If sure. it's if it, but it starts doing well. Oh well, there's some Honda stuff in there. All right. So bottom line is Honda is not doing so well. Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things going on here, right? Um, I think the first thing to say straight up, MCN has been predicting this bike for the better part of a decade. <laughs> uh, more than that, I more bet. Than, more than that. When I bet it, you the first time you see them talking about a V4 would be like 2005. This, yeah, this started before I started in this industry. Yeah. I remember, yeah, exactly. The, the original part of this rumor was a V5 uh, sport bike coming to market. So there is a little bit of like the broken clock you know, is correct yeah. twice a day kind yeah. of thing. And it's like, well, if you keep saying it, eventually it's going to come true, right? And all of us that are in the, that or like Tondas, as I have talked about, and as we just talked about Michael Locke, the V4 era was a very special era. The engines are amazing and they obviously work well because they've been using a MotoGP for a little bit now and they've been doing well. So yeah, they're more expensive to manufacture. And that was, I guarantee you, the main reason why the bean counters pulled it together and the CBR 1000 uh, was birthed from the from the CBR 900 to the to the 929 to the 954 to the thousand, right? Where they should have just kept with the V4, and that would be you'd have enthusiasts that were stoked. And now we just got this thousand that just meh. see. I don't get so poopy about inline fours. I think it's it's just a different tool in the toolbox. It's it's. It's a different kind of fork, man. You know, you got your dinner fork, you got your salad fork, you got your shrimp fork. They just do different <laughs> things. And they're all, not one, one's not better than the other. They're just different things. Um, I enjoy riding my, my R1, which is a flat plane, the flat plane version. It's sure. your standard inline four. I get on that and I have a really good time because the rest of the day I'm on either a big single cylinder or I'm on a big V twin and it's, it's different and it's fun. And I enjoy jumping on a V4 when I get on a V4 and. It ain't no thing. But what I do find interesting, at least more telling, is just kind of this wall that Honda feels like they've painted themselves into. Where you look at the the new CBR, the new Fireblade that just came out. And it's really not new. It's just the old bike with yeah. you know a weight reduction, a much needed weight, weight reduction, a 10 horsepower boost in power, but it's still probably 10, 15 horsepower 
too low compared to its competitors. Yep. And what really surprised me, and this is the thing that came out of the test, the uh, the press test when you talked to all my colleagues, is the electronics really isn't that well sorted out. It's not that well thought out in terms of how they're dealing uh, with wheelie control and traction control um, being uh, tied together. And Even not on separate. that SP version? Even You would have to get the race ECU from Honda to get that electronics package up to speed on what's on a Ducati, on an Aprilia, on that a you BMW. Can buy. That you can buy. I'm putting the quotes in the air that cost like, you know, $3,000 or $5,000, whatever it is. No, but what I mean is you go buy a Panigale 1299 or a BMW S1000RR or a Kawasaki. Yeah. You're going to uh, get... Does the Kawasaki have that? I don't, I'm not as familiar with the Kawasaki system. Well, say the new but, Suzuki. But basically, the basic... they I would say they missed the baseline. Yeah. You know, they they are they are below what I would say is average or, or considered commonplace in the industry, especially with the European models. I'd say all the European models for sure. The R1 for sure. Um, the Kawasaki would have to double check. No, no. No, yeah, the Kawasaki does it pretty well too, actually, because I remember doing wheelies down at Laguna Seca and it was... Dank? Were they dank? They were no, dank. not a... Hey, no, no, it can't be dank if my, it's my Laguna wheelies, Seca. My wheelies weren't dank. They're, they're Seca. They're dry. They're Seca wheelies. The chafing wheelies. Yeah, I guess when I think of dank, I think of damp, damp. right? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. We probably are using that word wrong. Oh, totally. Yeah. Have you seen us? We're like... <laughs> Have we seen We're, we're handsome. Are you talking, were you the handsomest Han- podcast? Handsome. Handsome. <laughs> handsomest podcast in the motorcycle industry. Onesome, twosome, threesome, handsome. <laughs> <laughs> Lonesome. Lonesome, right? <laughs> um... So it is interesting to me to see that the the new CBR is kind of a miss, and then they come and they bring that bike for Superbike, and so I will I will give them the benefit of the doubt and say there's some development. Yeah, they'll get faster things there. They'll get faster. But, for you sure. know, you talk to like Nicky, and he's like, you know, half this bike is a 2017 bike, and the other half is a 2016 bike. You know, they're using old parts in place of you know where there should be new parts because they haven't been able to build those parts yet. And part of the reason those parts haven't been built is because they're not getting the HRC support that they probably need. But and poor Nikki is it's tick tock tick tock tick tick because he can't he does not have enough time. I hope that paycheck is huge. Yeah, you know I think there's I think if you caught him in the right moment, you would see the frustration come through. The question would be is like is it that bad if you uh, he he has had a phenomenal career. He's gotten hurt to the point where he probably shouldn't have kept riding, but he has. He's persevered. He he has he has so much fortitude. He's he is super rad. So with that said though, he's he's been on some crap. He hasn't had the best go of it over the past few years. And this is the best chance. Do you just say, all right, well, maybe he isn't in a bad way because he's anything that he's riding now is found money. It's like, hey, you know, I probably should have been retired a, a while ago, but I'm not. And my name and my uh, I don't know. He's an icon. So, I mean, I think, I think it's, I think that's a really easy question to answer. Cause I said, Hey, Quentin, I'm going to pay you a shit ton of money to go ride motorcycles for a living. Yeah. Right. You keep up with it. And then I go, Hey Quentin, I'm going to pay you a little bit less than a shit ton to go pay to go race motorcycles for a living. Uh, hey Quentin, I'm going to pay you a pretty, pretty good living to go race motorcycles for a living. Hey Quentin, I'm still going to pay you six <laughs> figures to go race motorcycles for a living. Sure. You know, like, what do you what do you say to that? Well, at at some point though, somebody that has a, a spirit like Nikki that wants to win, it, it might beat you down enough to where you're like, you know what? Perhaps the risk of getting hurt isn't worth the um the pain and anguish that is is not getting paid well or not being on the best stuff. But to be honest with you, he should be on the best stuff. It's fucking Honda. He should be on the awesomest best stuff in world superbike and he's not yet maybe they'll get through this year he will be and that's where i kind of sit here and i think i feel like honda has abandoned the sport bike class because i look at what they're bringing to market for their superbike and it's you know it's just a it's just a tarting up of the old model and it's still a disappointment and i truth be told i think when we see all the the little shootouts and you know head-to-head comparisons come out i think the honda is still going to be the last bike on the list Despite being, you know, and, and the, the irony is, it's probably the best street bike of all of them. <laughs> well, and that's what they say, you know, like, yeah. well, we're not building a track bike, we're making a street bike. Yeah, well, like, well, sorry, well, sorry, yeah. you're in a class that you're, you're stroking the wrong. That's what you need, right? Thing there. 
If if somebody's not going to want the track bike, they're going to go buy the VFR 800 or whatever. Sorry. It's a bike. It's a bike bought on aspiration, you know? Yeah, yeah. of course it's being ridden on the street, but all these bikes are being ridden on the street. It reminds me of not, the people that would buy 996s back in the late 90s and put heli, heli bars on them and comfort seats. And I mean, they wanted the Ducati. They wanted that, but it's a torture rack. And they wanted to still ride it, so they would do a bunch of things to make them more comfortable to do long distance on because they wanted to have that super badass, wicked Ducati that was beautiful and an icon of the of the industry, but they didn't want to also have the thing that was wickedly sharp focused at, at being on the racetrack. So if Honda always has done a good job of making a, a well-ergonomic, well-riding, easy-to-deal-with street bike that ends up being kind of milquetoast, yeah, well, that's their deal. You know? But look at that with them pulling out of the 600cc Supersport market, and then I look at what they're doing with racing, and it's still like, I mean, they're going to kind of come into Moto America, but even then, like that big announcement, it's still not a factory team. No. So, you know, it just feels like a very, everything feels well, very wait. half-hearted. Hold on a second. What's the big announcement? Did they say Honda's coming back to Moto America? Well, I did not see this. So it was interesting. Somebody I, else made mention of this and I didn't know about it. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can pull up the press release while we're talking. I got an email from Honda saying to come down to SoCal for a big racing announcement. Ah. And I know enough to to be dubious about what that is. And so, Dubious? What about spurious? Do you think it's spurious? No, I think it's dubious. Okay. I think there's a I think there's a fine line between the two. And, Funk dubious? Yeah. Where is this press release? Um and so in my mind that that announcement can only be one of two things. It's either you're going racing in Moto America as a factory effort or it's going to be something lame. Yeah. So I asked my guys, you know, is this going to be awesome or is this going to be lame? And they're like, well, it's not lame, but <laughs> but it's not awesome. It's not us going factory racing in Moto America. So what it ended up being is uh they're calling it the Team Genuine Browster Chicken Honda uh race bike team for Moto America. So it's a American Honda kind of blessed. We're going to give you some support. Wait, wait, wait. What was the first? The team one? Genuine Broaster Chicken Honda is the name of the team. All right. Did they say who's putting it together? Is it? It's going to be, uh, uh, it's Danny Walker is the team huh. owner. Okay. Uh, Jake Gagne is going to be the yeah, rider. Yeah. Okay. So, you know. But that makes sense because the, the Danny Walker uh, setup that was doing, they were Red Bull. A Yamaha, they had Red Bull sponsorship. They were a Yamaha team, right? This is Road Race Factory. Yeah, right. That was a Danny Walker thing. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I so, just know that the Road Race Factory team was the Red Bull Yamaha. Yeah, yeah, team. yeah. So yeah. that was, I'm pretty sure that was Danny Walker. I'm not 100, percent but I'm pretty darn sure. They're based out of Colorado. Yes, yes, and yes, yes. If that's the case, then that's actually good news because they did surprisingly well uh, for being. Not factory no, yeah. ha- ha- Punch, Yamaha. Punched above their weight class. For sure. And yeah. if they have the the bit of, uh, a little bit of weight behind them with Honda to actually go do something. But again, this is Honda, plausible deniability. Oh, well, that's because Not it's a factory team. Yeah. Not a factory team. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's that same kind of thing where, like like you said, great rider, Jake Gagne, very, very talented. Oh, yeah. Good team, good support. You're going to get some support from American Honda. So it's not like... You know, I'm being poopy, so it's it's a good it's a good yeah, announcement. It's a good for thing sure. for the sport. You're gonna have a very strong entry in Moto America with with the Honda CBR, but not factory supported, not a factory effort, not supported in the way that uh, Graves Yamaha is supported by Yamaha. Um, and you just kind of sit there and you're just like, uh, you're like, you're giving me like half the sex with twice the foreplay. <laughs> you know, like you're just kind of like you're getting me all excited, and then it's just kind of like mellow town. Maybe, but I think that's the only way they can do it. It's the only way the manufacturer is going to justify it. It'll take them doing it for then Kawasaki to kind of open the door a little bit and peep out and get their little their little head out and be like, "What's going on out here? Hey guys, what are you doing? Yeah, what do you what do you guys got? Is there some marketing dollars that we can spend out here? Right? And they'll see that. Yeah, no. Now I'm going to have to. Now I'm going to have to compete in order to sell against Honda. I'm not just part of this thing where nobody gives a shit and. The the sales room floor is populated by bikes, and I don't know why people choose to buy 600s now. The Yamaha R6 has been such an overlord in the United States for a decade. I don't know why people choose other other than just to be different, right? For well, racing, you know to buy it like that, but maybe for road riding, you're like, well, the Yamaha R6 is probably actually not bad on the street, but maybe the Suzuki has... Um, 
as Adam was saying, is, you know, it's a decent street bike. Or the Kawasaki, it might be just fine. I rode one recently. It seemed like a great bike, right? Well, I mean, it comes back to the fact that like, all those bikes on the street are basically the same experience. Yeah, sure. You're right. You know, because like yeah. you're not taking them anywhere near the knife's nope. edge where the differences nope. appear. The brakes are good. The suspension's good. The, the engine's going to be about Chassis's the same. good. Yeah, sure. You're going to be entirely right. comfortable the entire time. Yep. They're all about the same valve adjustment intervals. They're going to be the same cost to maintain. They're going to cost the same when you crash them, generally, right? Yeah. So then that's why Ducati would sell it a shit ton of 899s and 959s because that was the one that's different in the quote-unquote super mid-class even though it's a freaking thousand it's a pretty much a leader yeah, bike now stupid yeah. but that's the way it would work people would look they would they that bike would still get positioned with the 675 triumph and the 600s as the smaller bike because the 1299 is an overlord so that that would be the only reason why you might want to get something different in that class Saying F three eight hundred MV Augusta all day long for sure coolest bike in that category yeah for sure that's a definitely good again if you could handle the dealer network the issues, whole thing right well, if you, so here's an interesting thing I just had a phone call with them the MV Augusta USA guys just the other day and we uh, were talking USA about, guys or Aussie guys well that's the thing they're a bunch of Aussies they're from Melbourne Mel Mel no Melbourne we're supposed Melbourne. to say Melbourne Mel was born Mel 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 Brooks Mel Brooks Mel Garth Baseballs. Baseballs. So yeah, Mel Melbourne, Melbourne, Mel Melbourne. Throw another shrimp on the bus. Shayla, gotta get your Shayla. I just, I literally just walk around the house just yelling Shayla. Yeah, you're really bad at it. That's really bad. We should get like a coaching on how to affect accents because we would be so much better at radio. Beach Coast, yeah, right. I have an Irish friend. We get Eamon in here, get him drunk. Well, no, no. I like my couch. Yeah. I was about to say, you can't really get somebody that's drunk, drunk, right? So, yeah. That'd be, but drunker? Get, yeah, get him drunker and have him like, all right, how do I talk like you, man? No. No. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways, so, yeah, you're, you're right. The MV Gusta USA, um, well, it's no longer a direct sus- subsidiary of MV Gusta in Italy. So, it's the Urban Moto guys, which are a group out of Australia. They've been, they import like... The best way to describe them is they import all the wayward brands into Australia. They do Benelli. They did EBR, Royal Enfield. I don't know if they do Ural, MV Augusta. I'm probably missing a couple, Um, but they're taking on, but they've been successful at it and they're going to take on being the MV North, MV Augusta, North America entity. So they're going to be in charge of the U S and Canada. Um, God, that'd be fascinating. Can you imagine a, an entity that is used to 30 million people, because I think that's what's in Australia, between 30 and 40 million people, spread out over a huge continent that's... It's fucking at huge. Least, I don't know. I, I've never seen... It's the a, size of the U.S. Yeah, it would be. The yeah. size of, about the size of the U.S. Maybe a little bit bigger, but we're, we're right about that. So they've got 30 million people spread across that. All of a sudden, they've got 320 million people and a how, well, how are they going to deal with it? Because I, I guarantee you they're well, not going to the, immediately be good at it. That's what they were saying. You know, like for for how big the Australian market is versus how big the American market is, they sold more bikes in, in Australia and New Zealand than they did here. I bet. Despite the market here being 10 times larger. Yeah. Uh, we sold about uh, 500 bikes, I think, last year in the U.S., 500 MV Augustas. Um. So, you know, that's barely a blip on the radar. They, they, I think the potential is really high for them, but we were talking a lot about how they are just trying to come in and get the market presence known. And it was an interesting conversation. We also got to talk a little bit about the changes they've made to the three cylinder platform to make it more reliable, but the dealer, the dealer network side of it and the parts side of it is a huge thing for them. And, you know, I think they've already made some progress on that, but the perception is the hardest thing to come over. Sure. You know, like they can, they can fix all the things in the world, but if that's not communicated in the marketplace and people don't understand that those are issues in the past, it doesn't really matter if you fix it or not, because yeah, sure. it's, if the stigma is still there, if you know, if I say, Hey Quentin, MV Augusta F three, 800 and you go, yeah, but it's going to take me 18 months to get a fuel tank. It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. Cause that's just like that. Yep. Oh, yep. It's radioactive. It's toxic to a point, right? Yeah. There's going to be a few of us that would be like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to deal with that. And, and do it because I want that special thing that's not a, as we started this conversation, ubiquitous four cylinder Japanese 600. Maybe I don't want that because I don't want to have to ride a bike to, to get to 13,000 RPM before it goes. And I don't want it. I, I just don't want to have to deal with the same old uh, passing two or three of the same bike every time I go out for a ride on the canyon. 
Uh, they want something different and something special and something sounds cool and looks different and is Italian or, or whatever. Yeah. So I don't know. And, and on, on the racing side, you know, seeing PJ Jacobson on the MV in the in World Supersport, um, I think holds a lot of water. That's really cool. And it could show that the bike does well. That's just as good as Moto America, right? You go out to Moto America and you ride a Honda and you get on a good team with somebody like Gagne and maybe he gets to mix it up there. Is that going to translate to sales? I don't know. And uh, Honda might be just testing the waters and eventually getting back in. I right? would, I, that'd be a good A&R pro story to sit down and look at race results and unit sales yeah, and see sure. and see the correlation. But my gut would say, and I've looked at this a little bit, my gut would say there's a really weak correlation, if not zero correlation at all. The, the correlation might be getting the cool rider that people like on. Because I know a bunch of people that had Kawasaki ZX-7s just because Doug Chandler, he had been good, but then Eric Bostrom was rad. He wasn't winning a fuck ton, but he was just a rad dude everybody liked. Were they selling a bunch of those bikes in the late 90s, even though it was well past its prime? Probably not. Probably not, but Kawasaki used it as a halo to be like, we're still Kawasaki, we're rad, right? And then once Suzuki started selling or started winning with Matt Mladen, oh man, it was almost, there was so much built up, Jixer love from decades of being one of the the first hardcore sport bikes. So when by the time Mladen in the early 2000s started winning, I think it was just a given that those were flying off the showroom floor. So it would be interesting to see. Absolutely, it would be yeah. very interesting to see what what is there cor- correlation. And I wonder if that correlation changes over time. I wonder if that was something that was more true, more relevant in the um, 80s, 80s, 90s, and now it's yeah. like. Eh. So I'd be. I know I was a Honda fan because Miguel Duhamel on the Smoking Joe's RC45 was killing it. That's because the RC55 is Well, yeah, it was. But I wasn't going to buy an RC45, but I had an F2. And I was like, that's rad. And he raced an F2 as well as the RC45. And I knew that that was the bike, right? And a lot of people would buy F3s because they had the Smoking Joe's replica and all that shit. Sure, sure. For sure. So that that was a good thing. And the same went for the Yamaha people. The people wanted a Fizzer because that was a Vance and Hines chartreuse and magenta colored bike. And they were ugly as sin. But when they were in race trim, they were wicked. And they made a... They made a, a, a homologation style bike that, that sold to the general public. And I remember a couple few people having those and wanting to have the Yamahas just because it was the bike that was raced. There was a, at, in that time, this is early mid nineties. It was still a big deal. You, you, you had backs and forths with people that you knew. My, one of my best friends was a Kawasaki racer or a rider, and he would talk nothing but crap because he was a Doug Chandler fan. And it didn't matter that Doug Chandler wasn't on the bike that he had. He was on an earlier ZX six and I was on an F2, and you could talk a bunch of crap about an F2, but it would just keep winning, and it was also a really good street bike, right? My, my uh, first bike, yeah. So but, which, that's like, that's a thing. Nowadays, I don't, I don't know if that happens as much anymore. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't help that for like the last um, five plus years, there there just hasn't been a, a been presence, sure. you know, in, in the sport at all. So you're not you're obviously not going to have those kind of situations when you're not even in there trying to have those situations. Uh, so it's tough. Uh, I want to switch gears a little yep. bit from the Honda V4. Um, I guess I'll just say t- time time will tell. Yeah, sure. It seems one of those rumors like it. everything kind of seems to be coming to that point. My my, We talked about it a year ago. I yeah. guarantee you, go, if, we could, if only we had show notes, we could go back and see when we talked about Honda V4s. And I'm pretty sure it was around the EICMA of last year yeah. when, again, you'd hear the stuff. Well, that's the thing, right? right? It was a 2018. It was supposed to be a 2018 yeah. model bike last year and now it's 2019 and next year it'll be a 2020 year yeah. and like you know we'll kick the can we'll see i hope it happens uh the homologation rules for superbike definitely um promote that sort of thinking of i think we're going to see a new era of homologation specials we're kind of seeing it now yeah but they're not really like not yet full-blown homologation no. specials just like oh we got the special spacer on the swing arm to do the thing we need to do now um like the gsx R one thousand R or the Honda CBR SP two or yep. um, Panigale R a true a true special which would be a they only make three or four hundred of them they're really expensive and you know only so many people are going to get them and they go to racers and all that stuff yep. the rules the rules are in place for it and I think I think we're slowly getting to that point and that brings me to the next topic which is Ducati is also looking at doing a V four bike 
Yeah. So Ducati is looking at a V4 Superbike as well. And that's another rumor that's been going around and has been something I've been hearing since midsummer last year. I mean, there have definitely been murmurings before then, but that was the first time where I heard people who I know know their, know what's going on in the Ducati factory saying like, that V-Twin Panigale is looking pretty old. And um, the, the rumor I'm hearing right now is it'll be a replacement for the Panigale R and it'll be that homologation special. It'll be that yeah. 500 units, maybe 700 units, but you know, it won't be super Legera level. It won't be super Legera level. It's going to have to be under 40,000 euros just to make rules, but it's going to be, is probably, that the deal? That's in the rule book. I think this is, I think what I've been hearing is like the $30,000 range. Huh, okay. But that, I didn't realize the rule book stated because that it does. that would help with the homologation specials if that was the cap. Right. Yeah. Right. That's the whole thing right now. Yeah. Um, and that's why the uh, well, I think that was I'm thinking of the AMA rule book for for EBR. That that was a big factor on what the EBR 1190 RS, the carbon fiber bike, was priced at. I think it was priced right at the forty thousand mark. Yeah. Because, because of that. Of that sure. But Superbike has a similar thing. Yeah. It's forty thousand euros. Sure. Uh, and then they have obviously volume numbers for the first year and volume numbers for the second year. I think it's, I want to say it's 250 units for the first year, 500 units by the second year. Yeah. I'd have to double check that because so they keep changing that. Number. Either way, Ducati would get in on that. It wouldn't be that far off from their R, Panigale R. It would be a V4. It'd probably be very reminiscent of the GP bike, but not exactly. It would probably have to have street bike crap on it. So it's going to have to have lights and turn signals and all that stuff. It's not going to be a, it's going to be like Desma Sedici, but it sounds like it's going to be way better than the Desma Sedici, even though it's probably going to, it might get called something like a Desma Sedici because that's what it is. Desmo 16, 16 valves. Yeah. I, mean, I would assume it's going to have 16 valves if it's a V4. Super right? Sedici? Super Sedici. Yeah, I want for to sure. Trademark that right now. Yeah, Claudio. we need to, that, that one's you mine. The forum. You need the forum. Yeah. Copyright. My, that my lawyer's going right? to be on that one. Okay, good. Yeah. So Super Sedici. Um, yeah, I, that sounds great to me. I don't know. Every, everybody's like, oh, you can't, it's V twin. It's the only thing. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Bullshit. That, that's it's not, I true. think that's how you can divide Ducati people into two camps really quick is that, that V twin. I think, I think there is, you can kind of get away with the double sided swing arm going away. You can kind of get away with the undertail exhaust going away, but it's like, they are the NRA of the Ducati realm where it's like, you can take my V twin when you pry it out of my cold dead hands. <laughs> yeah. Right. But there's a lot of people that are, and, and myself included to a point, uh, trellis frame, dry clutch V twin. That's a Ducati to me. And anything after that has been kind of like this, you know, it's, of course it's a Ducati. I'm not going to be like, I'm not that, but for me, what I liked is gone. And I don't really necessarily see it ever coming back, but the V4 might bring back a little bit of, little bit of vibes, literally and figuratively, because that the Desmo Sedici was a pile of crap bike, but holy shit, so cool! Is it really fun to ride? Right? It might not be that fast. It's powerful. It's loud. It was going to blow up. I will have shit. one in my garage yeah. eventually, uh, and there's no doubt. Yeah. I won't. I would never own one of those. You have it all day, all day long. But I would love to have a V4 that was attainable that I know that I could get support for with and parts and you know what I mean that would that would that would be have longevity to it like a Panigale does right even if a Panigale needs generally rebuild at fifteen thousand miles right I get I get the fact that that some of them can go further and it's a high 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 stressed vehicle oh yeah right so if if that's the case I'd be stoked to get a, a V4 that was like that well and that's the issue you know and I think I think Ducati's looking at. I think Ducati's, I mean, truthfully, I think Ducati's looking at the rule book and saying like, hey, we have to. You remember when like the, the rule book was bent so far in our favor that, you know, yeah. we were, we saw Japanese manufacturers coming out with V-Twins. Well, now yep. it's the other way around. Yep. So we're going to have to play a little bit of that game uh, to stay competitive and, you know. I'd love to see what makes Chaz Davis's bike tick because that there ain't nothing stock about that bike. And I would love to see what it takes, like what you would have to do to make a Panigale, like that you take rolling off the floor, like a Panigale R, roll out of the, the factory and turn it into Chaz Davis's bike. I'd love to see that because I guarantee you it would cost $500,000, right? And if that's the case, then they do need to look at it. Like that's, that's obnoxious. Now, would the Kawasaki be that much different? Probably not, but I guarantee it's not as expensive as that to do. Well, you have to understand too, the Kawasaki is a younger bike. Like that Ducati has been... 
developed and developed and developed and developed. I think it had to be. I think if you put in, fast. I think if you look at how many, re, how much resources and how much money has been put into making the Panigale R work in World Superbike and get it to the level that's at, because it is a championship contending package right yeah, now. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I would almost guess that they've. I don't think they've outspent Kawasaki, but I think they may have out-resourced Kawasaki. I mean, it's been very, very much a thing. Yeah. And for not nearly as good of a result. No. And, you know, I think there might be a little bit of um, Ducati just saying like, okay, fine, we're going to play your game and we're going to out outdo you and we're going to fucking drop a, a Brinks truck on you when we do it. Because you know, and that's and that brings me to the to the kind of the final topic I want to talk about. Because I want to talk about the the MotoGP aerodynamics. But before we get all the way into it, like you have to understand, like that was a huge thing that Ducati was looking at, and that's the other part of this rumor that I've been hearing is you know the reason Ducati was so upset about the aerodynamics um, packages in, in MotoGP banning winglets was the fact that that was a part of their their production strategy as well. That this new v4 superbike was going to have some sort of aerodynamic winglet some sort of aerodynamic feature that we've been seeing in MotoGP for the last season or two so for the 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 rules to sort of change i think it's going to kind of take away some of that like developed on the racetrack brought to the street kind of marketing play that they want to do i think they can still do it but you know i think that definitely kind of ruffled some feathers in italy because they're like you guys are kind of fucking up our chi right now you know our cappuccino is getting a little cold because of you but um, but I think we should talk about the aerodynamics in MotoGP because we've seen some very interesting developments uh, in the postseason. And uh, as anticipated, we've seen as anticipated yes. uh, non-winglet aero devices on front fairings, right? So we've seen on the Suzuki bulbous growths that are aero on the sides of the front fairing. I like to say the whale shark finally got gills. Yeah, it's got looks like a gills thing. So it's stratified air coming out. Is that the right word? Stratified? I don't oh, know if that's the right word. I think I might be wrong. That's, that's, that's yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Coming, it's not just a big opening. It's uh, got some slits and slats and flip flaps. and it, There's veins inside of it, yeah. It's in the same vein as the Yamaha? <laughs> oh, wow. Oh. Uh, yeah, so, you know, they're, they're, so for, for those that haven't seen the photos, the, the, the way the rules read... And the way that MotoGP is interpreting them, as long as the outer um, surface is smooth and safe and within the maximum width, whatever's thing that's going on, and there's a there's a curvature, you can't it can't be too bulbous. It ha- hmm. There's like a minimum radius kind of thing going on. As long as it's in that spec, you can do whatever you want, kind of inside that. So what we're seeing, and this was rumored before uh, the preseason test, we you know there's a lot of rumors that Ducati was actually going to do something like this, but where it's like a double layer fairing. So you have the outer fairing whose shape is to stay in conformity with the rule books. And then you have in between that, these strakes and these veins that are doing all the aerodynamic work. And then you have a second layer that would be the other side of the fairing. So it's kind of like a, it's like an Oreo cookie of aerodynamics. Yep. With, without the cream in the middle. Well, the cream. Like if, the, you, if you made little well, like strips the, 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 the aerodynamic cream. Yeah. If, oh, you, if you took the cream out and just laid in little strips instead of the round, right? Then that's what it would look like. And the Yamaha has a similar thing on the sides. It's funny because Yamaha had a, a very similar aerodynamic. That was mainly for ingress and egress of aero. The radiator in their late 80s uh, GP bikes, 500 Grand Prix bikes, had these side slits that made them look kind of cool. I liked them. Uh, but that wasn't for aero de- device. That was just like extra ducting. Right? Did you notice on the the on Nikki's CBR? No, that has something similar. Yeah, no. yeah. Obviously not working very well. Well, <laughs> he's such a cool dude. He is, right? But hopefully it w- will work well. Hopefully it will develop into it. What we're seeing with the, with the Aprilias, with their aero being very much in a smooth flow. I'd love to know. Like, sit down with the engineers and understand. All right, you're trying to get downforce at certain amounts of time or keep the front end from lifting or whatever it is that you guys are trying to do. But also when you're going down the front straightaway, not be dragging, not be an effect on top speed. Holy crap, that's got to be a difficult thing to do, right? So that's something in the in the Formula One world. That's what they fight. You see different wings for different tracks depending on the track. If it's a long straightaway track, you got these wings that aren't very much there. They're not providing a lot of downforce and you end up with some very pretty hairball racing because of it because the 
the racers are used to these super high downforce wings that frankly, if they were going fast enough and, and were on a road that went upside down, they'd stick to the ceiling. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, the, there's like multiples of the gravitational yep. force. So that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. And that's what they have. Whereas on the, on the bike side, it's not exactly what's going on. It's as we have tried to surmise, and maybe that's what we need to do is again, even though we've talked about it before, surmise what they are doing with, with the, with these aerodynamic aids. Well, I think, I think we've seen a couple different, uh, generations of it. And I think we're still, I think we, we have to first recognize that you would use an aerodynamic aid for different reasons and for different purposes and not all the manufacturers yep. throughout the whole, you know, however many years it's been now, I think Casey Stoner's bike at Soction ring, 2008, 2010, yeah. was when we first started yeah. seeing stuff. And there was a lot of talk then that that was less about downforce and more about cooling. That's, I mean, that's conjecture. Yeah. But, um, I mean, we, we definitely know those 800 CC bikes were, were pretty high strung and there's a lot of things going on there, but you know, I would say most of the teams are using a strategy where they say, um, the, they have almost more horsepower than they know what to do with. And they're limiting the horsepower to the ground to get to make it usable via electronics. And that's an imperfect solution. So if you can use aerodynamics to do it, then that means you're not cutting power from the engine. You're not depowering the engine through electronics. You're keeping the wheel down. So that means you're going to get more drive. And if you have an overabundance of horsepower, then maybe you're really not losing that much at the top end because at that point, yeah, you know, it overcomes the inefficiency of the of the aero design because you have so much power that it's going to it's going to blast that brick brick through the air regardless right and you'll right. Me- reach whatever terminal velocity but then it allows you to accelerate faster to get to that top speed quicker which gets you a better lap time right a lot of people are like oh well that person does 100 211 miles an hour down the front straight but that bike who's who's going faster is only doing 208 well it's because that 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 top speed doesn't always mean no, everything no it's it's truthfully it's a calculus equation you need to take the speed over the entire duration of that yeah. front sprite you know if you're yeah you can be 2 or 3 miles an hour slower at the top end but if you're averaging a higher yeah. speed throughout the entire length of that yep that straightaway sure you're the faster guy in the aggregate and that's a huge thing, I think, for people to understand. That's the same thing with a dyno uh, when we talk about horsepower in general. Yep. It's like, oh, I got that peak power. Well, it's like, that's great and all. But if I'm making more power than you, you know, you might have that that red line figure. But if I'm making more power than you from that point, almost from to that the point, apex of the corner till third gear tapped out, if I'm right. accelerating faster than you because my power is better because you can get it to the ground better, right? then you're going to be faster by the time you get to the end of the straightaway anyway. And that's and that's the thing that's always been interesting for me just to kind of switch it a little bit with with electric bikes when you have that flat torque curve. Just to switch it a little bit? I set you up like T-ball. You know, that's my job here. I set you up like internal combustion engine. I set you up. Now so. you're stretching it. Oh, man. Don't get cocky. Shit. I know, I know you're having a good little day, <laughs> but don't get cocky with it, all right? Our listeners don't appreciate it. <laughs> You're, you're too handsome for that. All right. I've got my eye on you. Eye on. Get it? Eye on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for a new podcast host. <laughs> Send your resumes to, to enthusiasts at asphaltandrover.com. Um, where was I? You're looking for positive results is what you're looking for. <laughs> well, actually, you have positive results right now. You've got a cat in your lap. There's all these paws right in front of you. She's so, literally. She's so happy. She stopped attacking that, that bag and it's just like, oh, hey guys, how are you doing? I'm yeah, doing this podcast. Pretty happy about that. Yeah. P- pod cats for sure. All right. So yes, electric. Electric. Switch, oh. switch gears. Switch gears. Um, well, just the idea that uh, when you have like a flat torque curve or, or nearly flat torque curve like the electrics have versus a peaky torque curve or a peaky power curve like on most gas bikes are, yeah, are sure. tuned for. You know, you can sit there and be like, oh, my gas bike makes, you know, 70 horsepower and this electric makes only 40. Why is the electric quicker down the street, though? Because of the the calculus equation, the aggregate of, you know, from zero to 200, you're putting down more power because yep. now everything is raced at the peak power figure. Sure. Uh, and that's, I think, something that a lot of uh, street enthusiasts don't understand. It's something that a lot of 
racing tuners don't seem to understand <laughs> when you go chasing a dyno number yeah, right? and not understand like, well, if the entire race was just raced with the bike at the red line, yep. your bike would be the quickest. Yes. Unfortunately, there's turns and there's chicanes and there's corners and gears and, and all those other things. Because of that and yada, yada, yeah. yada, sure. No, it's a big problem. And, I, and it's funny. We can talk about it on the podcast and I have already a bunch of times. There's there people just won't get it through their skulls. Yeah, right? I mean, you could have somebody that knows their shit that is that has been involved with a a championship winning race winning race team that can tell you that m- number doesn't matter. Stop trying to race your dyno against another dyno down the front straight, and they still won't listen. And that's all they're gonna do. They're gonna they're gonna tweak their freaking cam timing, and they're gonna they're gonna play with their squish and they're going to put compression in and they're going to get that high horsepower number and it's just going to be a turd that blows up it's just dick measuring that's what it, it is, is. Yeah. it's yeah, just, just sure. a giant bunch of dick measuring it's like when you throw up your dyno graph on a form or whatever it's like that's a meaningless thing that you just showed me that is a meaningless graph unless it's against other ones and you can kind of look at all of them unless and say, it's against other ones at the same time and you've and you've done your calibrations correctly and you know that stuff but at the end of the day like we call it meaningless but it doesn't matter that much if you also put us all out on a track and I go faster on the one that has the lower number right 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 and so, on the electric side it's very interesting where it's hard to explain to people right now that I'm in an, uh, in this realm it's like yeah it has 40 horsepower but it's more than that, right? Yeah, it makes the sound. This is an Alta. Makes the same power if you put it on a dyno as a 250 motocross bike. But when you're riding it, and I just had the opportunity to ride one in the woods again for the first time in a while. Is that um, when you were quote unquote working? I was. I was worried. I had to test a bike. <laughs> Let's show what can we do? We're gonna ride in the woods. So the riding the electric bike. And having somebody that, like the night before talking about, ah, oh, it needs a clutch. This is a, a very beginner rider. It's like, hey, that bike needs a clutch. And, and I know there's certain times when you need to, or you would think you need to pull power away, let the engine rev, and then pop the power out so that you could like say, popping a wheelie. Yeah, pop a wheelie or get over a, 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 a log or something like sure. that. But when you have a properly set up, engine motor with a, a throttle that's accurate and you have a accurate throttle hand holy crap and again the next day i go out and riding i was thinking about it as i was going through certain areas with tree trunks and roots and stuff and i had it in a level that was like immediate power man and you get immediate power you don't need a clutch if you can just go zip and then you just kind of crack it yeah because you have so much power at your wrist that it's more than you would normally have. It's more, you don't have to rev it up. You have it, you just need to open the throttle in a controlled manner, in a very specific way. Uh, so that's a different way of riding. It's a different sure. vibe. No, you're it's definitely going to have feel- to change your riding style for that. Yep, and it's, it is straight up, is it, is it good or bad? Ah, you know, that's, that's yet to be seen, right? And for me, when I, I'm, I'm cool with it. It makes it easy for me, like on that bike in that specific way. Sure, I would love to have two-wheel drive like I have on my Christini, but it boys it nice not to have to think about a clutch. It actually made me think about like getting a recluse clutch for the first time ever. I'm like, I don't know. I'm about to be 40. Now it's time to just just full on press the you easy just button. Go old man. Two wheel drive, recluse clutch. Turn your brain off and just brap. And you know what? That's the thing. Is some people will say that bikes that don't have that that take away some of these controls are less fun because you're less engaged you're less into it and i disagree i end up having just as much if if not more fun because i can think about different things like choosing lines and uh getting through the woods quicker in different ways that i was pretty stoked by and the same goes for the christini like i cannot have to sweat certain things about having momentum and just power up a hill anyway because i have the front wheel driving when normally i wouldn't that can be a, a an advantage in some ways um being in sand and having it pull through it way better but at the same time the expert rider that's been riding a, a conventional bike for 20 years could just blast by me having fun but i'm still having fun too so that's what it's all about right no yeah i think that's i think that's where we get lost sometimes because people talk about um like the skill that's required to operate a motorcycle at speed or to the craft. There's like a craftsmanship, skill, knowledge, mastery 
sort of thing that comes with that. They're like, you know, like, oh, my ability to manage the clutch and shift the gears and put it in the right gear and do the da 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 that's a part of what I really enjoy about motorcycling. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't think that's true for a lot of people. I think they get focused on it. It's the same thing like with the sound or it's like you get focused on something because it's, it's a part of the package and it's something that you've had to adapt to and understand and, and become expert at. So you, you equivocate it to riding a motorcycle well, but at the end of the day, like it's really not an important part of it. When you take it away, you really don't, miss it and it's like if if you're just getting on a motorcycle to show that you can have all four of your appendages and your brain engaged and doing all these different things and it's like you know i got a better sport for you than than that like go spin plates on sticks or something like you know go do something <laughs> like that really requires you to do like juggling juggling is a way more difficult thing that requires way more precision and skill and timing and, and all that like if that's if that's what you're into this sport for there are better things to go do than 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 ride a motorcycle that's an interesting way to look at it i think you're kind of right i don't know if i'd fully agree because i think it does there are parts that the, for me, the, the engagement of of certain aspects of a piston engine, and they're they're never going to go away for me. I'm I, I talk about riding this bike and it's rad, but there are still advantages. And and like for me, I even now I haven't ridden a two stroke one twenty five on a road race track in over ten years, and I I pine for that. I love I love that feeling of being on an, a fourteen thousand RPM, hundred and seventy pound bike. There's a there's that can't be replicated in any other way. Two stroke that just can't it's a really really cool feeling and that's that you can't replicate you couldn't shove a, an electric motor into that chassis and have me have as much fun could i have a different type of fun yeah uh for sure especially the experience with these dirt bikes uh with electric motors it's for, for sure rad but it's a different thing and this bike one one thing that we were talking about was the rear brake pedal because you don't have a clutch so you could put much like on a mountain bike. You could put yeah. the rear brake where the clutch would go. I would totally do that. And this is a big. Because I hate actuating the rear brake with my on, foot. On, on, with these big cumbersome dirt bike boots, yeah. right? But this is a, something for years and years. Just like you're talking about, everybody's well. That's what that's part of the skill set. You've just got to learn how to do it. And I've learned how to do it. I learned how to do it pretty early on. It was one of the hardest things to do. Here, right? Here's the thing: you can learn to drive your car with your feet. It yeah. Doesn't make it a good idea. Yeah, sure, that's true. Doesn't mean you're doing it the best way possible, yeah. but you know. We were just like a, a a trip of evolution away from from driving our cars around of our feet. Yeah, no doubt. All right. So in this case, it's it's just a matter of conforming to the human form, or having the machines conform to us more. Less is more in a lot of ways. So if you have controls where all you have to worry about for your feet is positioning your body, uh, and having your boots or the balls of your feet or the heels of your feet on the pegs while you're navigating rough terrain and allows you to then use your feet to power up over a log or you know put the move forward on onto the seat or something like that that allows you to go quicker and then you could use your hands uh, for the brakes side of it much like you would on a mountain bike I don't that seems like a no-brainer to me. Here's a great example. Look at how many GP riders now are using thumb brakes yeah. now that the leg dangle is a part of the repertoire. Is that the main reason? Yeah, I guess so. Sure. I mean, there's always been riders that that have had a preferred the thumb brake. Yeah. Uh, I don't McDoon know if, was the start. I was, say, was it doing that yeah, started? When it? his leg was all screwed up. I know that was a big thing. I didn't know if he was like oh, yeah. the first. I'm pretty sure you know, somebody might correct me. I'm sure they will. They'll go on to Two enthusiast podcast Facebook page and tell me who was the first to use a rear brake. I'm sure it was somebody in the 80s or 70s. There's somebody, but the person that popularized it sure. after they had their leg fused to their other leg to get it to survive and then had it detached was freaking McDoin. And that was a big deal. And then I remember we had a set of those things at Graves. Somebody had used within the Graves and or Yamaha factory realm. And it might have been Norihaga or um I don't remember. There was a few riders that we had trickle down parts from, and we had those. And Graves was making them. I don't know if it was that critical, but it, I, it was kind of a fad. Once somebody saw it in Sport Rider magazine on McDoon's bike, then it was like, oh, I want that, right? Sure, I would totally get. I mean, I know, I Just know, Andre yeah. Davizioso has used one for a long time. I'm trying to think of other riders off the top of my head that have. But I, it's been interesting to see in the GP paddock more and more 
of those popping up on bikes. And I, I can only think that it's the the leg dangle thing because if yeah. your leg's off the foot peg, it ain't on the brake. Yeah, sure. You know, if and you're going, if if you're going through that right-hand to, turn. If you can get further into the corner by doing your lane dangle and it makes you feel more comfortable and you could still add rear brake, then that's the best way to go, right? I crunched some math on it. I want to say it was somewhere between 5 and 10%. By bringing your leg back, you were able to apply 5 to 10% more braking pressure. Just to throw that out there. Hmm. It's a story I keep meaning to publish, and I have sounds done all like the work something on that's going to need to be published on Asphalt and Rubber Pro. Yeah, it'll probably end up there eventually, because only pros would want to read something like that's that. That's the thing. Well, I mean, if I'm going to do math, let's yeah. be honest, you got to pay me for it. Sure, like totally. I was a social sciences major. Come Not on, good. it's yeah. I, I had to like read a manual or something. At least you can so. identify that you're going to have to do some calculus. Right? Yeah. Well, I did a lot of calcin. I actually did a lot of math in school. I was. I was pretty good at the maths. Yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, um, there was some one last one last thing I was gonna say. The just on this this McDoin thing, have you ever seen the photos of Ian Hutchinson's uh, Yamaha at the TT? Yeah, when he came with back with the shifter through the swing yeah. arm pivot, like the way that the articulation of the mechanism is pretty trick to get it through the swing arm pivot. To the other side, which is a, a you know, it's an easy spot. Like, oh, where do we have a hole that goes from <laughs> goes one side? The bike. To, yeah. There's a bike, right? <laughs> well, it makes sense. And when you see it, you're like, boy, that is a beautiful thing that they did that for him because he has no more control. Uh, uh, maybe he has a fused ankle or something on the left hand well, side. I mean, he obliterated his leg. I'm going to, this is like paraphrasing this story. This is a podcast in itself. He obliterated his leg, got it healed up, obliterated it again. And I mean, truthfully, he was just coming back to the sport. He was just trying to get back on the bike. And I think the leg was strong enough that it could support his weight, but he didn't have, I don't know if he has a drop foot issue yeah, or not, something, something that, but it required him, from- him to, to start shifting with his left, uh, his left foot. And I, I do believe he was breaking with a thumb break. Sure. Uh, for the rear the break. Sense, right. Um, but I mean, I, the photos, I want to say it was the 2013, it was the Swan Yamaha, Swan livery. So it's this yellow bike. I want to say it was 2013. I have a bunch of photos on asphalt and rubber that I took of it because I was there at the TT that year. Very interesting to pour over. So that's worth, that's, that's your homework until next week. Um, did he ride street bikes that you know of? I think he does ride some street bikes. And, and I bet he would have to put the kickstand on the right hand side. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, because if he can't yeah. put his foot down correctly, right, he's going to have oh, to man. put the kickstand down on the left hand side. Wow. Right? That's like, shifter. that's so British. Right. Yeah. Right? You know, like you're driving on the other side, you put the kickstand on the, on the other, other side. side. Absolutely. And sure. all those bikes that have the chain on the wrong side. <laughs> There's a whole, it's a whole thing there. All right. Well, kickstands up. Good talk. See you out there. Later. That's, that's like blankness right there. Always check to make sure the microphone is plugged in. Okay, how are your levels now that your mic's plugged <laughs> Way in? Way better now. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, nuts. We're very close. We're very close. Oh, man. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, yep, 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 y